Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have a fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the coaches net. Once again, that's at the coaches net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest for me this morning. My guest this morning is Rennie Muhlenstein. Morning, Rennie. How are you? I'm very well, yes, sir. I'm very well. Thank you for, <clears throat> for having me on your podcast. I, well, thank you for being with me. I think I think the honour is going to be mine and pleasure is going to be mine for sure. And really, just um, if there is anyone listening to this right now or watching this that's not familiar with who you are, maybe just give us a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Well, I'm uh, obviously my name is is, is Randy Mullenstein. I'm uh, I'm Dutch, born in Holland in 1964. So I'm uh, 59 um, as we speak. Um, I've always had a I've always had a passion for football as soon as I could walk because my mother used to say, listen, as soon as you could walk, you had a ball on your feet and started to play with my local club and with my friends and my mates as, as, as you do and as you go. And you develop an appetite. <clears throat> I think at that particular time, sort of in the early 70s, uh, Dutch football was blossoming because of the clubs like Ajax and Feyenoord, especially in, the, in the, winning the European Cups, but also the Dutch national team that uh, became second in 1974. That is basically when Holland, basically as a country, got put on the, on the, on the football map through the likes of Johan Cruyff. And I've always, I've always had a really strong connection with that. So when I was 16, I started coaching at that age at my local club because the coach basically saw me hanging around every day. And he said, why don't you join me and help me out with these little kids? But after three weeks, he had to pack it in and I, I had to carry on from there and I never looked back ever since. So, um, you know, uh, there's many more things obviously we're going to talk about. But uh, currently, I'm employed as the assistant manager for the Australian national team. Um, very proud of the fact that the way that we uh, we came out of the World Cup, last World Cup in Qatar, leaving a really good impression and um, and basically achieved something that the soccer rules never achieved before. Playing against both the, you know, the the two world champions, France, that obviously was the world champion, and, and obviously Argentina later that became the world champion. So it was not the easiest of uh, of tournaments, as well as our whole qualification. The road to the World Cup was uh, was riddled with challenges, but uh, we managed to get there. And uh, yeah, so obviously before Australia, uh, I think everybody knows me for the time that I spent obviously with Manchester United from uh, 2001 to 2013, of which the last six years I was the assistant to Sir Alex Ferguson, which was the most, you know, memorable and, and most enjoyable time of my career so far. But uh, yeah, so plenty of things I think to talk about. Most definitely. No, first of all, you know, thank you for being able to kind of really pack in 
the best part of 40, 50 years in less than three or four minutes. Um, so, I, you know, but I'm going to talk, we're going to come back to the whole Man United thing. And obviously, you know, that's where I first came across you and, you know, being a Man United fan when I was younger. Um, I actually remember coming across you on, um, there, was a, there was a documentary or like there was a series of um, episodes that we did, uh, Play Like Champions. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. where I first came across you. And I think that was before you actually moved into the first team environment, wasn't it? It was, it was, yeah, because I was basically uh, hired in 2001 as the skills development coach uh, because Man United felt there was something lacking. And, and obviously it, it was right up my street because I really do believe in grassroots football, the emphasis should be fully on skill development and create the environment for that in, in well as training and, and in small-sided games. But what I also wanted to to do really was to to put some weight behind the message of, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> how important it is to get that uh, that skill development right in the early stages, and and create the link because that is why those top players are making the top making a difference at the top level, uh, and also at, at Manchester United. So uh, that was basically the aim. Uh, with that, with that DVD, uh, you know, the Play Like Champions DVD, which I still think is a very good DVD for, you know, people to watch, especially young mm. players, because it, it is packed with information. Definitely. So I just want to, you know, want to, we're going to come back to that, and there's going to be so much, so many things already flying in my head around what we can unpack there. But I want to take you right back to the start of your coaching journey. You said, you know, that you kind of had to, you caught it, and you just, you know, you haven't looked back since. And I, and I kind of, I can relate to that because my journey was quite similar as soon as I got into the coaching element I was like well this is definitely what I want to do and moving forward I never looked back so what, what was it for you about coaching at that time and um especially in 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 Holland at the time with you know like you said it being a bit of a blooming period if you like what what was that like was there a greater emphasis and a greater attraction because of that and more kind of support in terms of getting into coaching as a result of that as well um well, it was a coming together of a few things, but the one thing that really made the biggest difference on me was when I was strolling around in the next door village, and I saw this book in the uh, in the display, and it said the uh, the plan for the ideal footballer, written by Will Curver, <clears throat> and everybody knows I think probably the ones that are know football they know about the Curver method and that's still going, and that was purely based on on skill development. Now this guy was it was a Dutch coach, he was. I think approaching late 60s, 70 he was. And I went inside and I, I looked at the book and I just, first of all, I just went through the pages and I saw all these black and white pictures of, of try to uh, in, uh, to explain the move. You know, uh, let's say the Cruyff turn, for instance, step one, you do this, step two, you do this, step three, step four. And then there was an explanation about, you know, uh, how and where you could use it, etc. And it really intrigued me and I, I then went to the to the front of the book and, and read the sort of introduction and the preface. And I thought, you don't really need to, you know, I've been, uh, need a university degree to understand what Will Curver really meant by, listen, guys, we need to focus on that skill development at an early age because you look at all those great footballers that he analysed, whether from, you know, from Di Stefano, Puskas, Beckenbauer, Charlton, Best, Eusebio, Cruyff, you know, all the way up. And he said all those players have one thing in common. They're obviously very, very talented. They've got an enormous uh, skill ability, but none of them is really a product of, of a development program. It's all been coming natural to them and, and the environment in which they grew up. So he wanted to sort of make it 
in a program that more kids could could expose get exposed to that sort of training and training development so i took the book with me and so when i started coaching at 16 and the, the other coach left my emphasis was purely on that and that is where our first hand experienced the results and the progress that those players and there were sort of average abilities of the of the let's say of the, the 16 players i've had you know um you would say half of them were were average a few of them were a bit above average and there were two or three really really good ones but the sort of average ones became good the good ones became better and the really good ones they really excelled so for me that was a great experience to already realizing that's the sort of that's the sort of direction i want to take so, so obviously you know you, you're talking about will Kerber and the methods that he kind of really started to bring to life and or bring it, um, exposure to there's so many different ways in which we uh, consider youth development, especially, and obviously then that can translate itself into the obviously senior football and, and the way you continue to support adults, because I think that's often a bit of a, a grey area, isn't it? People think, oh, well, now that they're senior pros, they don't need this support anymore. But b- before we really unpack that, I want to kind of just talk about this skill development piece a little bit, because I think this is can of- often be misunderstood as well, and that what is skill development, really? Because I think first thought people might think, oh, it's just about tricks and about ability to do manoeuvres on the ball and things like that. But actually, no, it's fundamentally the way I look at it is was, it's the ability to execute under pressure, regardless of what the context of the situation is, whether it's a manoeuvre, whether it's making a pass or whatever that means. W- w- would you say that it's a fair a fair, a fair, definition for it? Yeah, yeah. Let me try to explain it in, in, in my own words. <laughs> I, always found it, I always found it amazing that when England were in major tournaments, World Cup, and European Cups, European tournaments, and and that's a few years ago now. And when they didn't live up to the expectations, there was then an ongoing discussion on Sky and other sports <laughs> outlets. Yeah, we lack the skill, we lack the thing, and everybody was talking about, and everybody jumped on the bandwagon about we need more, you know, technical players, and we need this. And that's a great observation, but nobody, nobody talks about okay. I can understand that. But how are you going to go about these things? Nobody talks about the structure of teaching those things. And that is where mainly the secret lie. You need to have, you know, a clear vision of skill development, what you want to implement on the short, medium and long term. What is it going to look like at the end? And if you've got that picture in your head <coughs> and you've got a clear development program, which runs, let's say, and, and for me, that would now be, be slightly different, but even it starts at home, really, because there's a great product now. A friend of mine produced, you know, football starts at home. Uh, and that is all to do with ball manipulation and ball maneuvers before they come into the six, seven, eight, nine years of age where the introduction in the, the sort of club starts taking place. Then you've got the golden years from, let's say, 10, 11, 12. And then you get where the players started to get a little bit older. They start, they know the identity of the player has come out around that age, 11, 12. You're going to be defenders, midfielders, forward. What type of player are they going to be? Um, they're coming then in that period of a little bit of unrest where you see boys that are early developers, boys that are late developers. You see big boys playing with young boys, but the same age. Uh, they're, moving, they're making the transition from obviously the small-sided games all the way up to 77, 99 into 11 v 11. <clears throat> and then they go into the under-18s where you know they're sort of coming close to being an adult, a senior player. And it's all then about, you know, competing for things and depending whether you talk about recreation footballers or you talk about 
elite pathways. But breaking down that skills development has to, uh, you have to look at that in, 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 various, in various ways. Uh, first of all, people need to understand that there are many, many 1v1 moments in the game because the, the basic ultimate thing that you want is that players have the ability to dominate the 1v1 if they get put in that position, whether they're looking to buy to outplay somebody or they've been put under pressure by an opponent. Now, there are many moments in the game. You know, there could be, there could be 60, 100, 150, I don't know. But there's only four scenarios, only four 1v1 scenarios in the game. And that is one thing that you have to understand. One, everybody talks about 1v1. They think, you know, it's, it's you know, I face you and I go past you. But that's only one. That's only one 1v1. You can only challenge, you can also challenge me, you know, when I try on the right wing and I try to put a cross in and you'll be running alongside of me. So what moves do I then have to go turn the other way? I might be, um, you know, attacking you in this way, but I'm, I'm, I'm running at an angle into space. You come across, challenge me from an angle, and can I then spin off, do a spin off turn again to change the angle of attack? Or it might be that I've got a defender from behind, you know, and the ball is played into me. And rather than knocking it back all the time, have you got clever moves and turns to spin and go the other way? Now, those are the four. Then you need to start breaking down which moves are following every, every category. And there's about, there is about six, uh, there's about six, you know, to eight in all different categories. And all those moves then, you start to then sort of blend them back in into what we call um, ball manipulation exercises and fast feet exercises. And that is where everything starts you know, in that football starts at home and the early ages and stages by six, seven and eight. And then you start to make it more functional move, basic moves, you know, mm. that they can use in small-sided games. And then you create all the environments in 1v1s, 2v2s, 3v3s, 4v4s, because 4v4s is the only small-sided game that has the tactical principles of width and depth in the game. And then on top of that, you do 2v1s, 3v2s, 4v3s, because that uh, automatically creates an environment where players have a decision to make. Do I pass it to somebody that's in free space or do I use it, you know, as a decoy to, again, to make one of those, to make the, one of those skills work. So that is the key to me. Yeah, so that people need to understand that whole thing. You can talk about technical, mm -hmm. but if you haven't got, you know, the insight and, and how, how, where do we start? How do we progress it? And where do we want it to finish? Only then you, you're going to have, and, and that's the fortunate time that I spent with so many years at Manchester United, where I've seen so yeah. many young players, you know, coming through the door of the cliff on Littleton Road, i.e. Marcus Rashford. And if I see Marcus Rashford, you know, do, a, do a, a move or a trick in the game, that stands directly from Littleton Road or the cliff. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's quite interesting. It's something that just made me think about, and this is, not, this is just the way, I, the way I feel about coaching in general in that, that ball manipulation piece, right? I, I, I get it. I just want to understand from your perspective. Are you are you considering that in an unopposed context? Is that is that opposed for you? Can ball manipulation be opposed? Or you know, there's so many different views on this, right? So I mean, personally, I feel like if it's going to be an unopposed element, it should be left out of the team environment. Similar to what you said, football start that football starts at home program where they talk about ball manipulation. Like there's not necessarily for me, I, I think it's not the best use of a coach's time to bring them into an environment to do that stuff. Yes, there is going to be benefits of it, but fundamentally, I think 
if there's an exercise that doesn't require the coach's direct instructional support to get the exercise going as a bare minimum, then could we not set that as a homework task almost and utilize well, the, the environment yeah, to do more? The more? Yeah, the more the kids do at home, the better it is, obviously. But what it, what, what it is, yeah, so the, see, the thing is what coaches need to understand for technical training is technical training is repetition. So if I give every kid a ball, it's 100% repetition. It's unopposed because first of all, they need to master the ball, you know, and you need all the things like agility and 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 working with both feet. All that comes into it. If they not, if they not have mastered that technique, yeah, that's why my my road towards um, you know uh, execution in the games is technique um, into skill, into small sided games, into strategy. And what I mean by that is. First, it's an isolated technique. It's me and the ball. I need to first try to execute it because, you know, I don't even know how to do it. So there, there cannot mm. be any opposition. When, when you can do it, when you've mastered it, can you do it with both feet? Number three, can you then do it with speed? Yeah, and if you've got that, then you start to bring the opposition in. In what way this can be uh, move can be utilized? That is going to be that opposition again needs to be first of all needs to be coordinated, measured. So it's not a full hundred percent competition. Mm. You, know, you tell the defender to do this, but still the emphasis on 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 the on the player with the ball to be successful. And as soon <clears throat> as soon as that <clears throat> as soon as that is mastered, then you go into the sort of natural progression into the competitive 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 games like one v one, two v two, three v three, four v fours, and mm. and that is a natural thing. See, skill acquisition and skill uh, technique of the skill, uh, yes, it doesn't just happen, you know. Uh, you know, I turned, I, I teach those kids the Cruyff turn or a stop turn, you know, with one training session, no problem. And some of them will be able to do it in the game as well. Right. Some won't. So that is a natural sort of going process that goes sure. over time. You know what I mean? Because. So, <clears throat> just yeah, on, the, on that, then, really quickly, you, you, I, I totally understand everything you're saying and I, I fully get it. My, my, you know, my question to you would be this then, is if we're looking at delivering that information, you know, so something that I've kind of looked at within technical training or just coaching players, different techniques generally is there's going to be subjective elements to it as well as objective elements to it. Right. How how how, how strict or how um yeah, how strict or rigid are you in terms of what that technique should look like? Bearing in mind, that obviously, we'll have individual differences, whether that be physical differences or, you know, from size, speed, strength and all these different things and flexibility, mobility that might affect the actions themselves when we're performing them. Yeah, but not 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 with very young players. With very young players, you need to you need to go through at least that's what I did and that's where I felt you had the most success with. I would always start with that fast ball manipulation and fast feed first. You go through these things and again, it's constantly, you know, repetition, bringing things back, adding something on, bringing something back, adding something on. There's about you know, for me, it's about 15 or 16 fast feet exercises. And eventually we, we all number them one till 15. And then you start making combinations, you know, do number one, number one and four, number two and nine, etc. So you create all these numbers, makes it a little bit of a game, a little bit of a game of it. Eventually they move into basically functional basic skills. The first ones that I teach them is the up and down movement. They are the quickest to learn. So <clears throat> training is repetition, but also training is making sure that the players experience success because that will motivate the players. And it's easier to go from that way to that way. So if they got that, that's one move already out of the way. 
you don't need to create games in which they are you know challenged to make to make those moves then we work on the spin-off the spin-off moves left and right you know when you dribble in an angle again they, they, these players are picking it up fairly fairly quickly and then I go in into the front take them on with a with a scissors or a sidestep or a, what they call it a little we still call mm. it a mathematics. They might they might call it somebody that's something different now. But what I mean is, if you go into one v one direct and I go past you, Yasser, but you turn with me, now suddenly that one v one front one v one turns into a sideways on. Side and then I've already got the moves to come back out with a stop turn. You understand? So I've yeah. already got that move. And that is another thing is because a lot of moves can be combined combination. So you 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 are very you know, flexible in, in any one of you one situation that if one moves not work, you can still follow it up with another one. Um, you know, and, and, and that is the sort of gradual progression that you that you go. And <clears throat> the, as the players get older, you know, they, they put it into the small sided games, then they go into the bigger games, into, you know, the uh, uh, the 77, 99, and then more position mm. specific. Yeah. And then eventually it all has to be you know, come to fruition in the strategy. That means this is now 11 v 11. You know what position you're playing. You know what sort of ones you want you're going to encounter. How you're going to solve them. Mm. So just to kind of build on, I, I, I think you make a great point. So now there's going to be possibly a lot of coaches listening to this thinking, well, um, my players maybe didn't get that foundation. They didn't get that grounding at a young age where they really started to develop the, the mastery of the ball. Um, they're now 13, 14, even maybe 15. What, what would your advice be to those coaches that are thinking, well, how do I start to get them to enhance those abilities? And would, it st- would I still go around the same route in terms of um, keeping it unopposed? Or do, I, or do I now, because they're at an older age, start to bring that element in or maybe task them with something else, if that makes sense? Well, I, you know, obviously the ideal world is to start as early as possible because your, your, your introduction, uh, your entry level is much higher. Uh, if they missed out on that and... You know, you will. You, you have to follow the same, the same road, although you have to probably move a little bit quicker, in terms of uh, being a bit more specific to the players, depending on the age and the position they play. Especially if you talk about 14-year-olds, but they can still all improve. The only thing that's probably well not as developed as strongly <clears throat> is that, uh, <clears throat> sorry, the creativity. You know, the subconscious creativity that they will develop on an early age because like Marcus Rashford, all those skills now are part of his, some subconscious uh, package that he has. He doesn't have to think, you know, about when he gets and he does a scissor. That just automatically, you know, comes. You know what I mean? Because it's been embedded there for many, many, many years at a young age. And that is ideally what you want. Yeah, so I'm just thinking, so, you, so essentially what you're saying is that you're you're providing them with a range of tools at a younger age so that they can become creative and how they utilise them at a later point. Would that be fair? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Because they, And that's that's not only the skills in terms of the the moves and the turns of the dominated one-for-one, one, that's also equally for the basic skills, you know, mm. because, you, you know, your, your passing, your receiving, your turning. You know, your 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 crossing, your shooting, your heading, obviously at at a, at a, at a, a later age. But mm. those two things, if you've got both things to your exposal, you become unpredictable mm. because now you can decide you can decide whether to find a solution by passing a ball or a combination play, or yeah. you're trying to find a solution by outplaying somebody. But you've got sure. both. 
Sure, and I, I, I feel really good. I'm just, just going to play devil's advocate for a second. There's going to be a few people probably thinking, well, if we do that, are we not stifling their creativity from early on and not allowing them to explore a little bit more? What would you say to that? No, not at all. It's it, it's totally the opposite because you're giving you're giving them more tools and everything to be more creative. They're going to be even more creative because then they they start to explore things. You know, if if you have to always realize, yes, that what is not in there will not come out. Mm. So if players haven't have never been been exposed to it, they don't know. So, but if you if you keep feeding them with all different kinds of moves, and they get excited about it, they go home and work on it themselves, and they come back. And they, they they grow every week, every month as they as they go on. They become more and more creative. No, you you don't stifle them at all. You enhance it. So let's let's come back to your journey now. I'm thinking now you've obviously gone into coaching at that young age. Talk us through your journey now, because obviously you talk there currently. Your Australian assistant manager um, managed to do really well in the World Cup, and obviously like you said the, you know what they've been able to achieve this time round. How did you get to a point where you've gone from youth development? to now senior football what does that what is that what does that transition period look like for you and, and, and what are the fundamental differences when you look at that because um, a lot of what you do is a very focused on skill development how does that then influence or what's how is that influence when you move from a a development environment with youth players into the senior team well the difference is is that it's like a pyramid model really because when you work with young kids like anything and you know in in in, in education as well you build a foundation, you know, it's a wider foundation. And then as you get on, you start to specialize, you know, uh, as a footballer, you can specialize in being a defender or a midfielder or a forward, whatever it is. Um, and that's an education that any different, but the basic, the foundation needs to be there. If the foundation is not there, you're just going to have a very small base and therefore, you know, a very small performance sort of pillar rather than like, a pyramid where you stack you stack things but when you get in there you all you're always depending on see those players that played at a high level when i did it made that transition at manchester united i did it because i felt and i managed to convince Sir alex ferguson that i felt that even at that level you can still uh improve players one one two maybe up to five percent and that one two five percent added up to everybody in the different positions is massive is massive um, but what you need to do is you need to work very very specifically straight away within relation to you know their their abilities the position they play at you know uh <clears throat> like i said if you if you you need to look at what sort of one to ones they get exposed to most so there's no point in, in wasting a lot of time where they never get exposed to and then you need to pick at least two moves where they feel very comfortable with that they can implement very very quickly in a game scenario because obviously at top football or at senior level it's all about uh, results and uh, you don't have got as much time as with young kids to to you know to explore and experiment so you need to drill in very very quickly to that to that uh, you know to a game scenario with these these players i did that individually first with a lot of players like diego forlan when i started and Ruud van Esteroy came and Cristiano Ronaldo tagged on and all this, uh, bit by bit, all those players came. And uh, I was given the opportunity at that time uh, from the medical staff, before players returned to the group, they wanted them to train with me for three or four days. So that was a great opportunity for me. And then the biggest thing, I think the biggest message in all of that, Yasser, I can give to all those listeners, 
and 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 I think that's the most powerful word that I always used in coaching. I never used to say to players or a team, we need to change this or we need to change something. Because when you use that word, it's a negative, it's a negative uh, approach and the players go, well, what do we need to change? What, what am I doing wrong? So I would always approach it with the word add. And I would always say to these players, listen, if we can add this to your game, you know, you're going to be more complete or you're going to be more productive. You're going to be more effective or more unpredictable. So add is more. Mm. And, and that makes players perceptive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the same with teams. So that is one thing that, uh, and then, like I said, you need to create all the right little uh, drills that um, that are purposeful for the players and, and where they feel they get challenged, but it, at the same time, it's game realistic. So, I think it's, it's a great point that you make, and I think communication is so key in coaching. I think um, it's probably not thought about enough across the board in terms of how influential that those you know, subtle differences in your language mm. can be for players. What, what what are your thoughts? Because again, another 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 thing that maybe a lot of coaches, especially probably listening to this phase, sometimes where players maybe aren't fully buying into what they're saying. Because this is really important. I think I think if the players aren't buying into you, you're wasting your time. They've got to be able to buy into you and your ideas, and you've got to have almost an element of confidence, but also conviction in what you're saying as a coach. Because otherwise, if you don't, it doesn't, you know, that 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 also transfers onto the players, right? They could they can see, well, this coach doesn't really know what they're talking about. Um, and then they're always going to maybe probe and check and challenge you, maybe not fully buy into. So just, you know, have you had any examples of, in your own journey where you've had to learn the hard way? Actually, I really need to know what I'm talking about here. Or be vulnerable enough to say, actually, do you know what? I'm not 100 percent sure about that one. We can work it out together sort of thing. No, to be fairly honest, no, because I've always been, no, and basically that's probably where I ended up, where I ended up, because I was so convinced, so convinced of of, of Will Curvis' mm. method and the way that he went about it. And along the way, you develop your own things to, uh, <clears throat> you develop your own thing to making sure that that message is, is come across um, in the right way. So I developed a few models, which is easy for everybody to understand. All right, yeah, I can see that. That's 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 the bigger picture, and and this is where it all fit into. And I I experienced it firsthand. You know, for me there was never any any doubt about it. And uh, like I said, you're spot on. You have to players sense that if you're talking about something, you're not sure about it yourself. But the biggest thing for me was as well, especially at that time, which was it was as many years younger. I was still very very capable of of executing all the things myself. So I could demonstrate really really well. Especially when I started working with first team players, that was important because if I start stumbling over the ball and I have to say to the player, well, it, it looks some something like that, you know what I mean? The players go, mm-mm. But if you show it in a really fluent way, you know, and you say, bang, this is the, how it's done, they go, oh, hold on a minute. This guy is, you know, 15, 20 years older than me and and, and he, he does it perfectly. So why should I not be able to do it? Mm. So that helps. That helps, but no, I've I've never had any 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 such uh, controversy that people would say and say, "Nah, Rene, I'm, I'm you know I'm not sure about that." And uh, mm. that, but, so. but I think fundamentally that comes back to how you've just described your experience in that you've fully bought into the idea of the Walkover method. Mm. You've fully bought into it, and that that in itself will you know um, ooze that confidence and conviction that you you everything you need yeah. now. 
so have you ever been challenged on the view of, of how that of oh, whether yeah. that's the right way and how does that look and many times many times in holland and that's why I've, I've always felt real was always a little bit of an outcast and and, and i followed in in a slipstream so i was a bit of an outcast because you then get all those yes but people yeah but yeah but yeah but and that's why i developed those models to making sure that no we're not forgetting about the tactical aspects of the game we're not forgetting about mm. the physical development of the players we're not forgetting about the mental side we all know that that all needs to be integrated at the right time in that whole complete development program however mm. you have to look beyond the curve and method the curve and method and that was the strength of his whole thing is just look at the best players in the world they tell you what we should be practicing because they are the best and making a difference now, from an attacking point of view, in ball possession, if you look at those Puskas, Stefano, Cruyff, Beckenbauer, Best, and all that, that's what they had. That's what they had. On the top of, you know, uh, they had the 1v1s and the skill element to be players, and on top of that, they had, uh, you know, a, a tactical level, um, a cleverness about them, an intelligence. They had, a lot of times, they had good speed, good acceleration, good agility. Um, you know, with many players. So it's, it's always a combination of things. But you can have the best acceleration if you want. You can have the most intelligence if you want. If you have got absolutely zero skills, the only option to get yourself out of trouble is to pass it to somebody else. Mm. But what do you do if there is nobody to pass them? You can't. You have to solve it yourself. And that's what those players say. And that is what I try to get us to understand to all those people. Yeah, but. But yeah, but is a very lazy approach and an excuse because a lot of times when coaches come up with yes but that knows that they want they cannot do it themselves and they don't understand the the the, the material and that's it i love the way you put it there because i think a lot of it has to be has to be holding coaches holding themselves accountable right um there's a massive thing at the moment i'm not sure if you've experienced this or what your experience are with this but where coaches just think it's good enough just to have a way that they want to do things but there's not enough evidence or rationale behind actually well this is why i want to do it i just but it's almost I don't, i'm going to do it this way because it's my way and mm. I, I i think you know like we i think you'd agree as well that players the smart players the bright players will soon understand that you've got no idea what you're talking about there's no substance to what you're doing so i guess you know when you're looking at the, doing the skill development piece within that You've talking about maybe specific manoeuvres and helping players master the ball and whatnot. How much influence and how much emphasis do you put on um, developing the player's awareness of not not necessarily how to perform the action, but what influences their ability to perform the action from the opponent's standpoint and the in the and the environment itself? Oh, very very much so. As soon as soon as you start bringing opposition in and, and when the kids started to be ready to sort of get get some tactical information the first thing is about width and depth and it's time and space those are the first four elements that you bring into for players to understand because when you play small-sided games even if it's one v one you go from one end to the next yeah now you've got two players so you can beat them or you can pass it to your mate now you've got an extra player you've got two players to pass to yeah or can you still maybe use those movements to go past them depending where the defender is and then 4v4 that's where your width and depth comes in and again mm. <clears throat> it's all about bringing tactically players from awareness to understanding yeah so first of all the players need to be aware of okay what what what, what am i good at what are my strengths what, what are my best moves my skills my my passing attributes and all that then the next thing is 
do they understand when and how to use it, when and where on the pitch? Um, you know, and that that all comes down on the one on the one little uh, subject. That's that's the tactical part of it, all those things is the decision making, and that is what you want to enhance. That they're always starting to make the right decisions as they go on, as they grow older. They know exactly when to make the move, where to make the move, how to execute it, when to pass. And eventually, they get that subconscious package where I was talking about with Marcus Rashford. When he's playing for the first team, he knows. He's got that. He knows, okay, I can use a turn to get out of trouble anytime I want. But I can also, you know, use my passing range and a little combination play to create chances like that. And that is where you get to. Yeah, so all those, I've I've developed it into, yeah, like... Uh, a four square, like a four piece jigsaw puzzle. I don't know whether you've ever seen it, hmm. um, where the player, the player sort of is, is, is central uh, of it because the players then, um, it revolves around the player and depending on what player you talk about, you talk about a senior player, then you talk about obviously it's execution and where does he make the difference? Is it on the defensive side or on the attacking side? Or maybe both. Some players do that as well. And then you start to fill in the pieces of the jigsaw, which is the tactical one, awareness, understanding, and decision-making. The physical one revolves around, you know, especially the top players now, they're all top fit, peak fitness. And, and everything that contributes to that peak fitness, which is strength and conditioning, uh, yoga even, diet, sleep, whatever you can think of, that has to contribute. But the tangible thing on, on the physical execution on players, you can see, you know, is dominated by the pace, strength, uh, stamina and agility. You can see that these are tangible. All these things need to be developed. A lot of those things will be developed in co in coordination with the tactical skill development. So as soon as you do skill and moves training, your agility will improve. As soon as you start doing moves and skills with pace, your explosiveness will mm. improve. When you get more into competitive situations, you know your strength has to improve. Mm. Then you've got the third block, the third piece of jigsaw is the mental side. Now, every person has got his own personality. And there's about, you know, an interesting bit for coaches to look into that. But there's about 12 different personality types that people can bring along. And there's all different kinds of combinations. And can you give, give you the best and the easiest example? Some players are very uh, extrovert and some are very introvert. Yeah. So you have to get those players are expressing themselves differently and they take information differently. You need to know that as a coach because these are the buttons you need to hit to press you know, to make it go. But what they have mentally in that uh, personality side of thing, what all the top players have in common, they have an enormous winning mentality and that, mm. shines, that shines through in the attitude that they play. Yeah. You know, um, you know and, that, and that attitude, that is then, you know, when you see those players with that mental strength, they're confident players, you know, they, they show a lot of confidence. And then uh, the last and the last sure, piece, the last piece is that technical side, and that's where you look at it. You can only play good football if you've got good basic skills, passing, receiving, shooting, heading, and then on top of that, to make a real difference in the attacking sense, you need to have those moves and skills, you know, to try to dominate the one v one. I will have a look quickly if we can see, you know, if we can bring that model up on my phone and I can show you what that looked like. But this is how how it basically looked like. Uh, the way that I spoke, explained and all the, all the things, but that was it. <clears throat> yeah, no, no worries. Just, just while, just while you're um, looking at that, two kind of major questions just pop into my head, and just to let you know, my, uh, one of my colleagues is, is going to be joining us now as well. Um, this one's there. 
Yes, okay, I've definitely seen it. Yeah, it's, it's similar to what we have here in England with the with the four yeah. corner model. Yeah. Well, just just to from. kind of build on that, then you know something really important that you said there is that around the winning mentality, and it, it's something that it's an it's a conversation I often have with a lot of parents, especially even coaches recently. That as a coach, you can give them all the best information, give them best environment, you can give them all the, all of these things, but you, you can't make them want it. I think it has to the winning mentality for me. I think it has to be something that can be nurtured, yes, but it has to be something within them that they actually that's actually what they want, if that makes sense. Do you, do, would you, what are your thoughts on that? If you put if you put uh, two young kids together in any sport discipline and they've got talent, and when you've got talent, you've got potential. But if you put two against each other, they'll compete. Just a natural thing. You don't have to do anything. One wants to beat the other. But the problem is, the problem in the youth development is, is that a lot of coaches um, see winning as the most important thing, and then it becomes uh, detrimental to the development of the players. The development of players is always key, and competing with and against each other is a big part of that. But it should never be winning at all costs. <clears throat> and that is where a lot of people go wrong, because that is where you know uh, coaches utilize players to get the best possible result on the board because it makes them look good in the pop at night because they said, yeah, we won again uh, today and we stuck Big Harry up front and he scored a hat-trick. But was that the right thing to do for mm. Harry or did you try to play the right way? So there's a lot of things, and a lot of that elements, elements there. But the, the, the thing, I agree with you, yes, <clears throat> there's always an intrinsic uh, element of there. Yeah? Some players are more natural competitors, more fighters than others um, but normally if you if you bring young kids in, in 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 an environment like that and they've got talent you know in any sport like that they will compete they will compete and if you if they compete you have competition and 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 then it's all about trying to be better than the other mm. so you know something really important that you've touched on there is obviously that talent piece right because there's going to be a lot of kids that, like talent is subjective to an extent right you can identify high potential high, ta- high you know high talent high current talent based on the environment you're in however something like again it's just coming back to a similar point in that parents will think that their ta- their child's talent is good enough but in in what you're saying the environment is just as important because the environment has to now bring out that piece around motivation competitiveness amongst one another and develop that element of competition right and how 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 do you how do you how how do you approach that as a coach then in a sense that well what would your advice be to young coaches or coaches listening to this that thinking well how do I make sure that it's competitive for both without actually just saying we need to work harder we need to be more competitive because sometimes the easy thing might be that you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need Viator book guided tours activities excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Well, if the player, let's just say it's me against you, if you're, if you're, if you're more competent than I am, that could easily demotivate me depending on how far that is. So when you're talking about setting the right level of challenge and competition for those, those individuals, what is too much, what's not too much in your opinion? Well, we, we used to, uh, there's two things here. One, one a little bit want to speak about the environment you're talking about. Um, I say it, if you look at kids and every kid in the world, every kid is born with talent, every single one. But that talent can be anything. It can be sports, it can be music, it can be arts, it can be numbers. You know what I mean? Somebody have a talent, you know, for numbers, you know, and that's why they end up in the stock market or in the, whatever it is. But you have it. The thing what I try to say is that let's assume that somebody's got an enormous talent um, for music. But because he or she is born in a situation where there's none of that, and they will never be able to get access to, for instance, playing a guitar or a, or mm. a piano, she will, she will never be able to unlock that talent because the environment is not supporting it. Now, if you go back to football, and you have those talented kids that all came through the door at Man United and the cliff and little to roll, then you need to look at the environment. First and foremost, what's responsible are the parents. What's the home environment like? All the ones that are taking care of the child because you've got a lot of different situations there. You need to look at what's the school environment like? What's the environment like in the club? And you as a coach have an influence on that. So that's an important part that the club is all singing from the same hymn sheet. And they have the same messages to the parents in terms of the environment and how to support that. What's the environment like in games, in training? What's the environment like in games? In training, what we used to do with a lot of those young kids, because there's a massive difference if somebody is born in January of one year competing against somebody that's born in December. That's nearly a year difference. Mm. Yeah? So what we used to do is to stream it, to making sure that that competitor's level, especially from a physical point of view, is matched yeah so all those things that can have an influence a negative influence from the environment on the development to reach that potential unlocking it or reaching it you need to address that and then the other four aspects is you know what i just talked about the four cornerstone model you know the tactical tactical physical and mental all those things need to be and if any of those things are not in sync or not 100 percent that potential will never be fully fulfilled because there is potential loss somewhere. You know what I mean? Because if mm. there is a very, a very bad, uh, a very bad atmosphere, let's say for instance in the family, or the kid is not supported, or the dad put too much pressure on him, on the child. You know, it's wrong, and that could be in all in all those things. Mm. So I think, you know, I, I I fully agree with what you're saying. I think it's just recognizing that, but I think we're not we're not always really going to have a deeper insight on what that really looks like outside of the club environment, right, or the 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 team environment that we're in. So I guess, what are your thoughts on the on the differences between that of a leisure individual and a perform and, and a, a performance individual? In that, you're going to get some. I'm sure you've experienced this, but you've got some players who are very talented, um, but their whole mindset is just leisure. It's not about, um performing when Rene's mm. not looking at us it's always it's, I'm only going to do it when when I know Rene's watching me yeah um, versus versus that of actually I don't care whether Rene's watching me or whether it's behind closed doors whether the lights are off I'm still working I want to be the best 
how do you how do you how do you how do you manage that how do you balance that and you know how, how do you maybe go from the point where you've got some of the players who are legit individual highly highly talented high high potential with them um, and getting them to understand actually actually realizing the potential that they've got well that's that's a normally almost a personal conversation that you would have with the with the individual depending also what age you're talking about i assume you're talking about an age that's probably you know somebody that is sort of in puberty or just beyond you know, 14, 15, 16, trying to find the feed. There's other influences that are coming into life now. You know what I mean? And and yes, <clears throat> and they 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 do have that sort of more recreational approach, which is nothing wrong with it. You know, uh, but again, um, it's all it all comes down that um, that what sort of if you work in the group environment, what sort of uh, standards. Uh, what ambitions do you have? What are standards do you agree to as a group, coaches and players? And mm. if you agree to something, then there should be certain expectations. And when people understand those expectations, they have to take those responsibilities. But if if they're not known, then I might come up in training. Like I said, I might be the best player, Yasser, but I just go, yeah. You know what I mean? I, you know, I just want to just kick a ball about, have a bit of fun with everybody. I don't really, you know what I mean? Mm. And that is... That is obviously a big part and, and, and an important part because at the end of the day, that is what, what makes those, you know, all those football nations what they are because they might be the most passionate fan for whatever whatever pro club they support, but they don't have necessarily that drive to become an elite player. Players that enter the elite pathway fairly, fairly early, there's never any 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 easy with me but like i said you have to be careful in the early parts of that elite pathway when they just enter six seven eight nine ten years all the way up to let's say 14 15 to making sure that they that they uh very much enjoy still being part of that elite pathway that they don't see it as a you know as as a must as a as a burden you know what i mean you have to be very careful because there's so much pressures around it if you're not careful you know which could eventually lead to demotivation of those players as well and and and, and leave the game 100 i think just a, a piece to kind of tell onto that and just to get your insights and you know a lot of that is managing the expectation of the parents as well as, and their and their their you know their insights so how much how much emphasis do you put on um parent education in the in the process of youth development as well i think again yeah, but let's say with leisure of football, you always have to understand and say, if it's with leisure of football, most of the time the coaches they do it because they, they for the love of the game. They do it, they, they don't even get paid. And if they get paid, they just get not much paid, but they just do it because of they like to do it. But you commit the time to do that and you like it because if you don't like it, you shouldn't be in that position anyway. But like I said, if you discuss and you make it clear that you say, listen, I'm going to put this time to this team three times a week or four times a week. We're playing in this league. Uh, what are the expectations? What are our ambitions? So in other terms of timekeeping, about turning up, about the role of the parents. And if you make that all clear, then there's a clear structure. And, you know, you don't get too many problems in terms of parents, parents, uh, you know, involvement because my son is not playing and why did you not play him and, and all that, all those things, you have to make it clear. Let's listen, these are the rules. This is what we're playing. You know, uh, what would, if, 
if everybody agrees, are we agreeing to, to making sure that we give our best to win every game? Or are we all happy to say we share the load, everybody's going to play, whether we're going to win, draw or lose? That's, that's, that is, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, recreation football. But if you agree to one, whether this one or that one, then at least you can say, okay, if we go for, we want to win, then this is what it means for training. This is what it means for team selection. This is what it means for the parents' role, etc. Right. And then you, you cover you cover for all the problems before they even happen. Yeah, this is it's a really it's a really great point you made because I can just think about recent experience I had where um, it's not that the focus was around recreational football. It's it, you know I, I consider it to be an environment where I'm supporting the players to develop towards a high performance environment, um, but understanding that as youth players, they still need an element of um, certain amount of game time and so they can get equal opportunities to kind of really develop themselves. But there was a situation where the team got to a, a cup final and I, I tried to explain to them that, you know, I, well, I basically gave them the choice. You know, how do we want to approach? Do you want to approach it how we have the whole season where everyone's had that equal kind of game time or distributed evenly? Or do we really want to go after the win here? And I left the decision to them, but I, I was very clear and very conscious to explain to them that the fundamental differences as to what it means in terms of we're looking just to focus on the development piece here. This is how we have been coaching alongside that. These are the reasons why we coach in the way that have to support the development. But if we're going to go for the result and look for specifically for the win, this is what it will mean for how our behaviours as coaches might change. This is what it means for how much game time or where you might end up um, being situated within that. So I think it's really a really important point, right? Especially at that age, um, 14, age, 15, 16. What age are we talking about? What age are we talking about? Uh, so this is 15, 16. 15. And what did the players decide? The players decided we want to go for the win. Now, I think the really important thing is, and I, I think all the players will decide this fundamentally, but I think the it was really interesting that for me, I wasn't surprised that they went for that. But even I, I think it's it it probably was a bit of a reality check for some of them realizing actually I might be the person who's not getting more than ten minutes, whereas other people who probably knew that they were probably one of the stronger ones in that moment probably felt yeah I'm I'm happy with either or because I know I'm getting my game time right and fundamentally they want to just play for a lot of them but then you know these are some of the I guess realities they're going to have to deal with if they're looking to perform and develop and move on into senior environments. So I think I thought I found it really interesting, but I think it's really important that it was explicitly made clear to them the fundamental differences around the two approaches, so that they can make a conscious decision around that and then not be surprised by the outcome, um, or rather not be able to challenge the outcome in in a way where they weren't clear on what it could look like. Um, there might be a lack of clarity, might be a lack of understanding and a disagreement around them being the the ones to miss out, if you like. Yeah. But the but the the path that we've gone down was one that was equally agreed, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but that that's 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 the right way forward. So there can never be any misunderstanding, no matter what the outcome was. You know, whether they whether they win or lose, because everybody supports that decision, and then you, there should be should be no issues. 100%. I'm just conscious of time and I want to really go into, you know, unpacking your experiences around Man United. But before I do, I just want to bring my colleague in, Peter. Um, I know Peter had a question for you as well. Um, Peter, over to Hi, you, Peter. man. Hi, Rennie. I'm sorry I, I got in a little bit later, but I had some work calls in here pulling me from pulling to post this morning. Um, no worries. 
<laughs> my question to you is this um actually actually funny enough I, I, I kind of what yes just talked about there when he said about the um uh he gave them a, the players a decision that whether they were going to go for the win or whether they were going to carry on doing what they were doing mm. i don't know what you think of this that, that and then this is not to drop drop, uh, drop yes or in it but it sounds to me that there was probably a little bit of a a change in the goalposts at that point because if you'd been going through the season and you'd said right everything we're doing is um is about the development and we're gonna um we're gonna uh, everybody's gonna get their minutes and then on the day of the cup final you say actually are we gonna go for the win or are we gonna go for um to carry on development what do you think do you think that could be a that could cause confusion in the in the players there. No, because you're talking about you're talking about an age of players that are very very well, uh, you know, conscious about what they want and what they don't want. Mm. And you know how many you always have to ask yourselves, and that's probably a good approach. It how many cup finals do you think you're going to play mm. in your career? You know, and those are one of one of moments. And again, if it's a healthy discussion, it's nothing else than reviewing a situation yes we would be very happy with what we knew this season i just throw it out there guys they take responsibility you empower the players it's not that me as a coach are going to say listen i'd be happy with either you decide i'm just saying there's a stare on us in the face you know and i do think that's the only thing i say but i do think that if we would go very very strong we got a great chance of maybe winning it now winning things is a great feeling it doesn't matter if you win things for manchester united or you win things for, uh, you know, Wil Wilmslow Town, whatever the boys is, the feeling, the feeling of winning is the same. And it's a feeling of achievement. And when you've got, and don't underestimate that, that has been part of development. Because no matter what, uh, no, 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 no matter how many or how big or how small uh, trophies or achievements you've won, they all add up. To yourself and the person because it it creates a good feel factor. Mm -hmm. So either either if they would have chased, even either if they would have chosen, now we stay the same because we're very happy with that and we just we just go out there and, and see where it where it ends. Fine, no problem. Because like I said, with younger kids, it's a different kettle of fish. Mm -hmm. You know, because you know, do, do they actually understand you know the consequence of, of their decisions? But on the 16s. They, they, they probably know. And you still have maybe some of them, you know, that might say, no, I, I, I want to carry on. But that is that is that is the whole thing of the, the democracy. You know, if you throw something out there and it, it's 5-4, which is a narrow, it's a, just a narrow margin, you know, but one team will, you know, and that's and that's where you sail by. But yeah, the key for me is to be clear, clear, transparent, good communication, especially mm. with those age groups, empower them. You know, they, they were they were like that. I think just to kind of add some context as well, I think it's really important there that in in Pete, you're spot on. You know, there could be a bit of a position of moving the goalposts and the perce perception of that. I think for me, it's we've approached this with this mindset the whole way through, and to an extent, the players haven't really had a say in that. Mm. We've just said this is how we're going to do it. But I think fundamentally, it was that question: Well, how often are they going to get to a cup final? Do they understand what that actually means? They're at an age where they might, for some of them, rightly, wrongly, they may decide they don't want to continue playing football after this year. Are, mm. are we taking an opportunity for them to experience that away from the, away from the focus on the development piece, right? 
And then there's the other piece of, well, some of these players who actually genuinely want to go and play at a higher level as possible, whether, whether that's in the next couple of years or whether that's in the future. But the reality is the way in which that situation is going to be dealt with if they do get to that point at that time, well, it's not going to be about development. It's going to be about we need to win today. And you, they might need to be prepared for the fact that they might be the player who doesn't even get on the pitch. We, you know, we've seen the Champions League final recently where Kyle Walker's played all the games up to the final and he's been dropped for the final. Even happened yeah. when uh, when Rennie was at Man United, right? It happened to uh, Park Ji-sung. Mm. Played all the games up to the final and he got dropped in, in the final. And then, you know, I think Sir Alex even says it's probably one of his biggest regrets um, in yeah. that final. But I think it's just exposing the players to understanding that actually this is the situation um, and not maybe overlooking. Actually, the players still just want to win. Yes, they they do care about development. But today, today they just want to win. Um, and that's okay. And I think that's probably just to kind of add a little bit of context around it. Um, but no, so I think it's a great point from both. But I'm conscious of time. I want to take you back to that period at Man United in particular. Um, maybe just share a little bit of insight on how you transitioned and what that conversation actually was with Sir Alex in terms of moving from an individual development skills coach at the youth level and, and how it then transpired that you ended up doing that at the first team level. And if there was any kind of initial reluctance or resistance as to is this going to work? No, no, there wasn't any because uh, because I sort of started very, very um, uh, simply by working with individuals, uh, which didn't interfere with anything else, and and predominantly with Diego, with Diego Forlan, because Diego was that sort of player that was at Man United, still tried to find his feet. Um, he just had fantastic players ahead of him, you know, with whether it was Vinistroy up front who scored. Every week, weekend, one or two goals. You know, Giggsy backs were still there. <clears throat> so that was that sort of the start of the things. And gradually, you know, uh, Jago started to to get the benefits from it. I started to work with different players, with like I said, Finistroy and and uh, Giggsy and, and Ronaldo came on board and etc. So so that was a good way for me to sort of introduce myself and the the, the things that are sort of felt that those players could benefit from on an individual basis. Then when Ricky Sabraja left Man United with a reserve team, that was an opportunity for me to, you know, uh, to basically say to Sir Alex Ferguson, um, you know, why would you look outside the club where maybe your solution is inside? So I, I wrote this letter, which I slid on his door. And uh, very early on, before he actually came to Carrington, and he called me in and he said, hey, Rene, I had some mail today. So oh, yeah. yeah, an interesting letter from a coach. It says, uh, it says, uh, oh yeah, it says, uh, do I know him? Yeah, I think you do. And he <laughs> made, made some interesting points about maybe taking the reserves, and you know, I I, I quite like him, you know, and uh, you know, so that was sort of the conversation that went. It was just taking a Mickey, but <laughs> I took the reserves, and that for me was another opportunity to basically then make another transformation from that individual skill work into the team setting. Yeah, and I had the likes of, you know, uh, Gerard Piquet at the back, Johnny Evans, you know, uh, Giuseppe Rossi, Fraser Campbell, Marcus Neumeyer was playing there, Kieran Lee, um, you know, Phil Marsh, all of them were there. And then, you know, occasionally there was quite a few uh, reserve of uh, first team players that sort of came and dropped in. But what I really wanted was, okay, that's now a great opportunity for me to get across to those players we're gonna we gonna I gonna I gonna really um, bring that skill element into into all my training sessions 
So it's always going to be and and whether we do positional games, conditioning games, small sided games, big games. It's constantly trying to get that level of unpredictability in our game and play in the style that we want United to play in. And it was an amazing, amazing year because they won. We won the treble that time. But some of the football that was played was just was breathtaking. And and uh, I wanted to the players in reserves because I felt they were all a bit what you call neglected was maybe not the right word, but they walked around like with heads down, shoulders slanted, you know what I mean? And I said, listen, <clears throat> no matter if I be trained, because that the reserve team in a, in a, in a professional uh, club is always the hardest team to train because you never know how many players that you get. Some of them move up with the first team, some of them, you know, they're still the youth team, whatever it is. And I said, it doesn't matter if I work with one players, two players, four players, eight players, 16 players or 32, every session will have a purpose will have a challenge and every session revolves around quality and intensity. These are the four things. And within that, all that, we, we wrap that skill development piece up in your position and all, all, all that style that we, 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 for you guys to be able to showcase that in your performances, which they did. Now, that was the opportunity that Ferguson could also see me work on the big pitch with big players, managing them, you know, how, how that went. And then the transition when I just left for Brunby for a short period and then came back, it was an easy move for Ferguson to sort of add me to the first team initially as a skill development coach. Uh, and then when Carlos Quiros left, you know, to become the Portugal national team manager, it was easy for him to say, well, René, you've been doing a lot in the training anyway. Mick took Carlos' place as an assistant manager and I became first team coach. And it was just a really gradual sort of transition. And all the first team players bar maybe a few, uh, the new arrivals, have already worked with me. They knew me. Mm. And, 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 and I knew the sort of, and I knew the way that I wanted to take this team, you know, forward, you know. Mm. Uh, and, and, and like I said, I couldn't have had a better, a better explanation from Sir Alex Ferguson in terms of what he expected from me. And it's obviously all written in the, obviously in the book that I, that I just bring out, United, Sir Alex and me, as you know. But in that conversation, so Alex, we're on, on the flip chart, three flip charts, he explained me basically exactly what my blueprint was for, for training, my navigation system. Mm. And it revolved around defensive things, how we wanted to press and if we press and what do we want to do in a deep block and da-da-da and what, we, what he expected from transition, you know, when losing the ball, when winning the ball, what he expected from <laughs> within possession. Where rhythm, rhythm, creating rhythm was one of the most important things that you wanted in possession that players had a subconscious idea about think forward, look forward, play forward, it was all about, you know, rotating the ball, breaking lines, um, getting behind, uh, like I said, with that rhythm. And the last sheet, that was the most important one. He said, if I see United attack, I see them attack with pace, power, penetration and unpredictability. And those are the four most important things I want you to instill in this team. So that was my outline. Mm. In those, those flip charts. And that was sort of the red sort of threat that ran through all, all the sessions. And if you look back to the games at that time and you look at the best teams that we played and the best games we played, you see that pace, you see that penetration, you see that, you know, uh, you see the power and you see the unpredictability, mm. you know, through. And, 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 and that was obviously great for us great achievement because obviously it was the most successful period in the history of Man United 
you know, winning winning four titles and you know, we got into fucking three Champions Leagues. So that was a really good time. Mm. Let, let's let's just talk about because you know there's so many different directions I can go in with this, right? But I'm really keen on that piece there, that pace, that power um, element, and then that play forward, think forward, and, and even breaking lines. That was a massive piece, especially around that kind of uh, mid 2000s period, where you know towards the latter end of 2000s, where they started having all the success around Champions Leagues, and and then you had that one uh, one individual, Cristiano Ronaldo, who you were, you know who you worked with, went from being this young kid coming in at Man United very very raw um you know you hear all the stories about when he first came in and all the things that he was able to do with the ball and probably very very probably right up your street in terms of the type of player that you'd want to work with right how did how did did his journey evolve from becoming that young player to now where he has well where he went on from there and um still to this day he's become the only player in the premier league to win the world player of the year at the time yeah yeah he's um well, he, he came in when he was 18, and like you said, he was he was raw, he was young. But one thing that he did have, he was very, very focused. He was very uh, committed, and he knew he knew very early on what he wanted. You know, he knew he knew in the in the back of his in his head, he's, he knew he wanted to become the best player in the world, um, and that's fine. You know, you need to have you need to have ambitions. But to fulfill those ambitions, you need to meet targets. And that's some of the things I took him on a journey about that again. Awareness, understanding. You know, about, I said to Cristiano, he says, <clears throat> I know you want to be the best player in the world, but are you going to be the best player in the world tomorrow? He says, no. Are you going to be the best player in the, uh, in the world next week? No. Next month? No. In six months? Probably not. In a year's time? Maybe. So there you go already. You set yourself or your time, a time scale that within a year's time that you might want to be the best player in the world. Now, what are the targets that you think you need to achieve to get to get to that ultimate ambition? And that is what I try to sort of break it down, you know, you know, in terms of his play. You need to become more important for the team. You know, you need to be creating more assists. You need to create more goals, more goals. And at that particular time when I had him in that, in that period where he, he was suspended for the first three or four games, because of previous season, um, when the team uh, was going to play um, home or away, um, he stayed behind to, to do extra training sessions with me or with other players. And that is when I fully focused with him. I said, the biggest element for me, what you need to get right as soon as possible, is you need to become more productive, more effective, more relentless in scoring. Because I said, what you have now, you are you can score a goal, but you're not a goal scorer because your attitude to scoring goals is one, you always want to score the most important goal and you want to score the most beautiful goal. Now, I think you need to move away from that and you need to score as many goals as you can. And those two goals will be in it anyway. And that is what I said to him about also setting the, the aims and targets. I said, how many goals did you score last season? He said, 23. And it says, I assume you want to be better this season. So, how many more goals are you going to score? And he said, 30. He said, there's seven more. And he looked at me like, he said, mm. I said, what do you think? And I said, I think you should go for 40. And he said, that's nearly double. He says, yes. He says, but we haven't really worked on elements of that, you know, in terms of making you aware and understanding, but also we haven't worked with you on the pitch. And when I was working with him on the pitch, I explained that on a piece of paper to him on the board, that if you look if you look at the pitch, I I divided that in zones. 
So I took a line, I draw a line from the post all the way out to the edge of the box and said, this is zone one. If this is the best goal scoring zone where you can get in. Because if you're in here, the goalkeeper will be in the middle of the goal. And depending on where the ball is coming from, whether it's going to be across a header or a cutback, whatever it is, but you can score basically in all the areas, bottom corner, top corner, halfway through, whatever. If then I took two lines that are drew from the post all the way to the corners of the box. So you get, you get those sort of, you know, triangular areas, which are called yeah. zone, zone two, left and right. Now, those are actually the zones where most goals are scored from because that's because the opposition will always try to block zone one. Mm. And then I started to work with him. Okay, what sort of type of finishes are you going to use here? Because in football, the goal never moves. The goalkeeper does. Because if you go to the left side of the goal, the goalkeeper will move slightly as well. So where are your options now to score? Now, if you've got a defender in front of you, you then have to think about, okay, what is the best way to beat him? It's best to beat him on the inside because then you come closer to zone one. So your scoring chances increase. If you go on the outside and you come in zone three, which borders the byline, you most likely, it's not impossible, but you most likely end up in crossing the ball or, or cutting it back. So that was the process that I did that I did with Cristiano, plus the fact that I said to him, listen, you need to try to score. You need to get an attitude that you score as many goals as you can. And think about this. You've got, a, you've got an empty rucksack on your back, an imaginary rucksack with a clicker. And every time you score a goal, there's click, click. And that clicker, you know, that wants to keep going. And every goal you score, whether it's in training, whether it's just in a finishing drill, it's just when you're shooting, every goal counts. Every goal counts. Yeah? And I said, by the time, yeah, you, you go on and you progress through the years and you're going to get a, 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 as many chances as you get. But when those chances come, you have probably already scored a goal in training. So you know, you recognize that and you know exactly what you're going to do because it's already in your rucksack. And that's the only thing you need to do. The moment in a split second, right, I've recognized that before. Pink, this is what this is what we're going to do. And the mm. last thing we worked on was focus on the execution, not on the outcome, because that's mm. where a lot of chances are missed. Yeah, a lot of players, they say, oh, right, you're back in the net. But then they focus on, you know, the right approach to the ball, the right first touch, the right connection, you know, the wide area, you know, that they want to hit it in the goal. It's all mm. about the execution. Now, that was the process, sort of, what I took him through. And eventually, that was, like I said, I'm not only me, there's plenty plenty other people that has worked very hard with, with Christian, and never mind the manager himself, Carlos Quiroz, and, and Mick, that have endless conversations with him. Uh, and, the, and and by the time he left Man United, he had a, he had a fantastic base. You know, to to go to go from there, and and if you look back to what he did at Real Madrid, at Juventus, you know the the, the leagues he won, the Champions Leagues he's won, you know, and still going strong, you know, in 38 years of age in 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 Saudi, so it's remarkable. So just on that, and I think it's, it's fascinating, obviously, just to see how you've kind of uh, you know worked with him and some of the insights, and I think the language and the way that you've communicated, we've talked about it already, and just how you've presented that to him in in the analogies as well. How important is it? And I think this is a conversation I've had with a lot of coaches recently. And that how important is it for you to, one, when you set him the target of 40, did you believe he could achieve it? Um, and at that point, does it even make a difference whether you did or not, do you think? Um, or was it more just to get him to think, actually, no, we've got to think bigger? Because if we, it's yeah. almost that mentality of if the bigger we think, if we fail at the bigger goal, we're probably still going to reach your goal anyway, if that makes sense. Was, was there a bit of that going on? 
absolutely just that I, I did believe that he could reach it because I felt it was an area because I I analyzed all the goals he scored those 23 but I also analyzed all the chances he missed right and he could he could have he could have scored more than 30 goals already that season mm. but, but so I I thought it was very well capable but more than anything for him to take to take you know to dream bigger you know to 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 look at bigger and, and better things he achieved those 30 goals in the back end of January. So I told him, he says, what are you going to do now? you got still February, March, April, April, May to come. He says, well, now I need to try to get your, your, uh, so it was an actual motivation. You know what I mean? So it, mm. it confirmed, it confirmed that everything we did, you know, was paying off, was working. Mm. Um, as well as in, 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 in the lead up to those last months, I made a DVD for him, which I called uh, Ronaldo from good to great. And I, I was basically trying to sort of show him that the DVD lasted maybe 10, 15 minutes. Uh, it was it captured all the stuff we were talking about, but there was also elements about that just as a, a summary for himself to say, remind just remind yourself about okay how important was that setting from that that aim and that, those targets. Mm. Uh, uh, how did that compare to all other? big sports people in the world that have achieved things and you see parallels i told them about the strength the mental strength about where the mind goes the rest will follow and the body language that you need to make sure that that works for you because body language is what signals do you send because it's a very important uh non-verbal way of communicating mm. uh, all those things sort of were captured um again dealing with the pressures of the media um you know, but to keep him focused, that was basically it, and making sure that he was still, although he was an individual journey, he was still a massive part of the team effort. And individuals can only excel to the teams and vice versa, um, because they both need to help each other. Mm. Um, I think, you know, I'm just thinking about it now. So, you know, it, it, both myself and Pete, we're coach developers. And one of the things I always say to the coaches, kind of linking into what you've just said there, as coaches, part of our job should be to um, get the players to see beyond what they can currently see as as their potential. Well, you know, to- you know what the biggest thing is, what I what I always feel that nobody, no coaches do that. And I can't understand why. Because all the players go in a pitch, starts, starts nil-nil. And they play a game. And none of those players set themselves any targets. Mm. You know, so if I'm a winger, and I said to always to the players and to all the players that I said, you need to start to learn to go in the game and to set yourself so many targets, whether it's a defender, I want to win so many defensive headers, I want to have so many interceptions, a midfielder, I want to, I want to, I want to have some, at least so many key switches of play. I want to play the ball. I want to definitely play. 60, 70% of the ball forward rather than square as a back. If I'm a winger, I want to put at least, you know, six good crosses in. What I try to say with that is if if players go into the game with their personal sort of targets, it becomes more purposeful. And if you if you if you don't do that, it doesn't matter whether you hit one cross or ten crosses, mm. you didn't set any targets. So, you know, it doesn't matter what, what is good or bad. Mm. But that is that is all part, especially in development with younger players especially when they get older in it, to start to say, no, 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 I need to step on that pitch and I want to meet, I want to meet certain standards. I want to, I want to achieve it. I want to do it. Now, if it doesn't 
happened, you then have to start to look at, okay, what was the reason why he didn't put six crosses in? One, yeah. did, he not, did he not get the ball? Is the opposition much stronger? Uh, whatever. There's so many variables that have an influence. Of course. But at least you always have a, like a, a, a discussion uh, around Around but, that. And, uh, but I think something that's really key on what you're saying there is is really getting the players to focus and think about well, what can you control? Yeah. So, so you, know, you talked about it earlier about you know, are they executing the executing the techniques right? Are they approaching the ball right? Are they doing all that right? Rather than focusing on the outcome, because fundamentally they could do all that right and it still potentially might not work out because the goalkeepers managed to pull off a great save, right? Sure. These things can happen. And I think it's for them to understand, well, did you do your bit? How well did you do your bit? And what, what, what did you do within that? So I think it's really important to kind of just highlight that. Control the process and the outcome will eventually take care of itself if the process is done well enough. And I think the easiest way to kind of explain it is yeah. when you see young players in particular where they're trying to really put a lot of power into a strike. Yeah. It's not the force that you're striking it with that's actually going to generate the power. It's actually the technique and the follow through and everything else that comes with it, Absolutely. which naturally the, you know, the flow of that movement is what generates the, the the power, right? And I think that's probably the easiest way to explain that the process is more important than the focus on the outcome. So if they can keep that at, at the forefront of their minds, really, yes, I'm really conscious. Of, go ahead, go for it. Yes, yes, yeah, I'm just saying because I yeah. need to I need to quickly uh, shoot off, otherwise I just yeah. stop. The <laughs> um, I think Pete just had one final point that he wanted to ask. Yes, Frank, because there's going to be a lot of coaches obviously listening to this and you've come up with some absolute goldmine here. And I've, to be honest, I've, I've been just been listening and stealing all these uh, uh, these ideas from you. So as a coach, what do you think is the key thing for a coach to make themselves uh, get better and keep improving? It's a really good point. I think nowadays, I think... Um, Coaches are sort of, uh, what do you call it, uh, easier is not the same way, but they it's not the right word. But what I try to say is when I started my journey, when I started my journey, uh, it's obviously uh, now you've got so much access to, you know, technology and online information that, you know, you can get so much from top coaches. You know? So invest, invest in that, invest in, try to understand and look at the best coaches, yeah, because they 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 got look at look at Pep Guardiola and look what his innovations are with his tactical thing and try to learn as much as you can. Look at Jurgen Klopp, but look why, for instance, Deserbi does so well with uh, with Brighton. Look at Ancelotti. So there's plenty more to see, and there's plenty other coaches that you that you can that you can learn from. Um, you know, also past and present. You know, never forget don't don't forget Sir Alex Ferguson, obviously, if, if not the most successful one of all. So. Look at them. Look at the vision. Look at the management style. Look at you know all all the aspects what they did in terms of coaches. You need to know where 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 you fit. You know a lot of coaches. Uh, you know they, they try to go to a level because it's more uh, what do you call it? Uh, how do you say it? Uh, rec recognizable or appreciated, whatever. Whereas basically they are best at grassroots level. So. You know, find 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 your fit. So, uh, and invest in the expertise and the experience in there. You know, and and like I said, I hope and more and more you see it that clubs reward those coaches at grassroots level. They should exactly be the same rewarded as the ones that do the under 18s, in my opinion. Because if you get it wrong on the base, it's going you struggle all the way through any of that. 
And then on top of that, you need to, from that, from your vision that you're going to create, you need to be very, especially if you work in development, you need to understand the development program and how it works. You know, uh, what the total picture looks like, where do you fit in, uh, in the development uh, thing, all the way through over those different ages and, and stages. And, and then you, you, you need to, as a coach, you need to know, okay, how do I deliver my, my sessions in terms of planning, preparing, planning, executing, your communication. And one of the things that Ferguson always used to say to me for training is always remember, Rene, everything you do in training will manifest itself in the game, good and bad. And, and sometimes we, you know, coaches use the excuse, we don't have a lot of time, you know, and that and that. It's just a lame excuse. But even if we had limited time, we maximized all that training time. We made sure that every, every single player understood that purpose, challenge, quality and intensity if you hit those things. And one of the biggest things of all good coaches, you need to have imagination. You need to have imagination and you need to be flexible because not always you, you plan your training, you prepare your training and you've got everything based around 12 players and only nine, nine turn up. What are you going to do then? Yeah, so you need to make sure that you've got yeah. things ready that if things don't fall into place or you've got two extra players or whatever it is, that you always know if that happens, then this is what I'm going to do. And, and imagination is a, is, is a big thing. You, you always set out, but there might, be, there might be certain things that you think during the game, that's absolutely brilliant. You know, I can, I can get more out of this. Or I need to tone it down because the boys are not getting it. You know what I mean? There's no point in me pursuing it. I need to make it a bit more easier for them, whatever it is. But that's what development is all about. Awesome. Rene, I'm conscious of time. I just want to say a massive thank you. It's been really, really um, insightful and really, really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you have too. Um, but Rene, just again, massive thank you for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Um, wish you all the best with the new book. Um, very quickly, I don't know if you just want to let people know where they can find it. Well, it's obviously been uh, sold on, uh, at, at Amazon and all the other uh, good big uh, retailers uh, like Waterstones, uh, etc. So, yeah, uh, get yourself a copy because, like I said, a lot of information we talked about. There's, there's so much information reading between the lines. You can really take so many information out of it. How I perceived why United was so successful in those in that particular era when I was working with Sir Alex. So it's a uh, it's a nice little uh, nice little read. Amazing, Rene. Thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it, guys. Make sure you get out, get out there and get Rene's book. And I wish you all the best for the future, Rene. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Rene. Take Thank care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.